I have a dream to make movement practice universally understandable and accessible to anybody in the world and even understandable to those who are outside of the culture. I've started with the podcast featuring conversations that I have with teachers and practitioners who are in this community. I've learned so much from these conversations and really connected with people, both the listeners and the people that I've got on the podcast, and that's been a real joy. And so I want to pay that forward. I want to help listeners to this podcast also connect with other listeners and with teachers who I have on the podcast. So I'm really pleased to announce the opening of the Active Hang. The Active Hang is an online discussion board or a forum, a space for thoughtful and critical discussion on movement practice. You have a question? You want to meet the others? Jump on the Active Hang, say hello, ask your question and connect. My dream for the Active Hang is that it can become an asset to the community, a knowledge bank, a resource, one where people come and contribute. Where can you find it? It's on thepassivehang.com. It's free to sign up. Come in and say hello. Once more again, you can access it at thepassivehang.com. Episode 41 of The Passive Hang. Today, I have Joel Mullen, who is the head strength coach over at Movement Co., which is a huge movement facility based in Perth, Australia. Really happy to have him on. He brings a lot of expertise and a great perspective on how to navigate through this modern day movement culture. He also shares a lot about his own training and his approach to strength training. So I really enjoyed this one. A lot of value in here for you guys. And I hope you guys enjoy. So I'm going to get started now. I'll see you guys in the episode. Thanks, guys, for joining in once again. It's another episode of The Passive Hang. It's up to episode 41, and I've got Joel Mullen on the podcast, who is a coach, teacher, who resides in Perth. You work out at Movement Co., and then also at a community gym. Uh, so what was that called? Called The Hive, was it? Uh, the Rise. The Rise. Yeah, and so I'm glad to have you on because I know that we've got a few mutual connections with some guests that have jumped on before as well. And so really wanted to reach out and find out a bit more about, about yourself and the work that you're doing. So just a warm welcome to, to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Fayon. Really appreciate it, man. It's, uh, it's nice to be here. And uh, thanks to everyone that chooses to listen. It's always nice hanging out with you guys. So maybe if we jump across, you know, to your personal practice, what have you been working on recently? Um, I think in terms of like more recent stuff, uh, over the last six months, I've, uh, I've quite deliberately aimed to focus on pretty much just strength uh, while aiming to maintain kind of uh, the mobility and the gymnastic strength uh, slash handstand attributes I've already developed. Um, it's, it's something that as kind of, I'm not going to say it's a plague, but I think it's something that's interesting about movement culture. We, uh, we pride ourselves on the ability to constantly change directions, uh, to find new interests and then uh, indulge in them. But I also think that uh, when you've got so many choices, which, you know, it's, it's a great luxury, but I think it's also, it can be a limiting factor in some ways, you know. Uh, <laughs> mm. Consumer society is the same sort of thing. If you can go to the shops and buy anything, well, why not buy everything? So I kind of, I decided, well, what's going to happen in a year if I basically dedicate my, my training to purely strength. And then, uh, if I've got a little bit of spare energy, just maintenance on all those other facets and areas. 
Yeah, you're kind of like a kid in the candy store, right? You suddenly your eyes open and you get greedy. You're like, oh, yeah, maybe we could be doing like the acrobatics or the balance stuff or the handstand stuff. And then suddenly you're like, well, I've only got so many hours in the day as well. <laughs> and I know I've been victim to it as well, where you just try and do too many things or you're like, oh, I want to try this and this. And then when you look back, maybe like a few months, you're like, well, I haven't really like covered anything really in, in, in depth. Uh, or I think, um, or maybe some of those areas where you're dipping your toes in. So when you say you've jumped into this strength, so it's been a focus for, for, for a year, has it? Uh, it's, it's a little over uh, five months. So I'm, I'm getting closer to the halfway point. But yeah, I started uh, pretty much as COVID eased and we were able to access a little bit more strength equipment. I said, okay, well, mm. now's the time to to really go hard on something because yeah, and in the, in the times before COVID, the the couple of years prior, I just practiced so many things. And as you say, you're like, yeah, I'll dip my toes in. You think you're maybe getting to a standard that's kind of okay. But yeah, it was interesting, both kind of as a trainer and uh, as a coach. I was kind of like, well, you know, if if someone looks at me or if I look at myself, you know, what, what would what would I what would I see stand out? I'm like, cool. I do a bunch of things, but nothing's really that that stand out that impressive mm. that interesting um and i also yeah just couldn't focus on one thing for more than a couple months at a time and it seemed to become a, a short-sightedness or weakness for me so yeah i think it is important though when your eyes start broadening that it's nice to dip your toes into various multiple things because then you kind of can question oh what do i actually really enjoy and then from there maybe your decision is a bit more informed to go oh, okay like actually i really enjoyed that or that makes sense and then now now you when you commit yourself to that you kind of yeah maybe a bit more intentional to commit to that one area yeah yeah definitely i mean um one thing that i i do in my job at the community gym the rise uh, we have an appraisal system where uh, people are allowed to kind of be interviewed and, and guided by the trainers uh, a few times a year for free. Uh, and one thing I see all the time in these appraisals is people will come to the gym, they'll sign up. Uh, and you know that there has to be some motivation. People don't just magically sign up to a gym. There has to be something there. When you ask a person, okay, well, like, uh, what do you, what do you want? It's always the same thing. Oh, I'd love to lose a couple kilos or I'd love to be a little bit fitter. Uh, and, and you chuckle to yourself and you kind of like, well, I guess that's where everyone starts. But as you say, um, if you don't try a few things in the gym and you haven't tried a few things in the gym, uh, you're not able to say, well, I really enjoy strength training or actually like, I just want to get a mad pump. It's the same for the movement culture. If you haven't done rail balance and parkour and climbing and handstands, then yeah, it is a little bit harder to intentionally, uh, limit your focus and say, yeah, this is something that. I enjoy and that I want to be blind to the other things uh, for yeah, making that intentional choice is definitely not a bad thing. You're right. So when you say you've been focusing on strength development, like what have you actually been doing? Um, well, for me, I, I kind of find especially limiting the range of things I can do interesting. Um, some people choose to kind of, you know, let's say, jump on a ketogenic diet and it's like, yeah, cool. So I've, I've got this limiting factor here and that's quite strict. Um, for me, I've tried to make strength purely about powerlifting numbers and most of my training's been pretty much centered around that um, for the last five and a half months. Um, admittedly, like it's not just bench pressing and squatting and deadlifting and their derivatives, but 
um, you know, there's, there's still some basic dumbbell work and uh, a little bit of mobility here or there. But yeah, majority of it will be those three. Hmm. Yeah, because I guess if someone wanted to make strength their focus or that, you know, they wanted to get insane, mad strength, what would be like an intelligent way to approach that? Well, I think that you need to first define strength for yourself because uh, I think it's one of one of the things that uh, I've realized a little bit more as time goes on about the movement culture. You know, we we look at handstands and we look at, you know, bent arm and straight arm strength and we look at um, lifting strength and we look at all sorts of things. And for me, I think that, that strength can be an all-encompassing term. Are you strong enough in the specific ways to do a handstand push-up? Well, maybe, maybe not. Um, but strength has to be specific to task. So uh, when I talk about strength for myself, it, it's pretty much purely powerlifting numbers. But if I've got a client that wants to feel stronger in themselves, I'm like, well, cool. What, what kind of strength would you enjoy? And we hmm. almost play a game until we work that out. And for yourself, why have you chosen the domain of powerlifting? Um, you know, in the movement culture these days, there's a lot of focus on, you know, transferable strengths, bang for your buck movements, that sort of thing. Um, why have you chosen these movements to focus on? Well, I think it's a combination of, you know, uh, it's, it's something that I already knew a little bit about. Um, I, was already, I was also employed as the, the head strength coach at Movement Co. And um, it's not that powerlifting was the sole focus of the gym, but I thought, well, you know, I've been given an opportunity to be a head strength coach. How much do I feel I really know? And I thought, well, I know a little bit, but I could really know more. Uh, and I'm using this as an opportunity to, you know, try and uh, clarify some of the things that might have been a bit dustier or uh, unclear before I started. So I guess that's why I'm doing powerlifting specifically. Um, but going back to your comment about transferable strength, I also think that, for example, if we go back to me and the things that I'm trying to maintain, really my, my big aims at the moment are to be able to still handstand push up uh, and to still be able to do a one finger assisted one arm handstand for 10 seconds, pretty much on command at any given point in my training uh, first time. Um, so you know, they're, they're two very different things if you consider them strength mm. in their own ways. Uh, obviously, the one-arm handstand is still really quite uh, skill-heavy, you would say. It's very, very specific. Where the handstand push-up, you know, depending on the camp you sit in, you could say, oh, yeah, well, like maybe dumbbell and barbell pressing is going to transfer. And then there'll be other people that say, nah, hell no, it's not even remotely close. Now, you know, I don't know too many people that have kind of tested both sides of that argument there aren't studies done about it, at least that I know of. So it's one of those things where it's fun saying, okay, well, I can quite confidently talk to a guy like Fayon and say, yeah, well, you know, man, uh, in a week I do about like of, of my pushing volume, about 60 to 70% is dumbbell related. And then the 20 or 30% that, you know, is still pushing work that isn't dumbbell related, it's barbell related. Uh, the amount of kickups and attempts that I've done for a handstand pushup in the last five months would number probably, I don't know, 30 if we're, we're being generous. Um, and handstand push-ups are easier and more consistent for me than they've ever been. Mm. So, you know, I can talk about personal experience and say, well, you know, within my personal experience, at least dumbbell training provided at least a steady base of, I did have some handstand push-up to begin with. Maybe there is a transferability and you do wonder because you do see people in the movement culture talk about, 
stuff like, oh, well, you need to do volume of handstand push-ups to expect more. But maybe if you do minimal skill work and a lot more basic strength work with an eye on minimal skill work, you actually end up progressing faster over a long-term period. You just, Mm. no one's done it, no one's said it, and you just don't know. So I guess that's kind of uh, a fun little ad addendum there. Yeah, because I guess I hear a lot of the common narrative is that, you know, focus on the handstand push-up and then you'll get the other gains for free, like the um, the barbell press or the dumbbell press rather than... Uh, I like this approach as well where it's like... If you take away that skill and the balance component, you can just focus on that strength develop development, but then taking it back to something like you got to balance in your hands and then get that movement right. I can see how that that can be beneficial as well. Yeah, well, I think it's one of those things where like the narrative is, yeah, like you get you get stronger by doing the handstand push up. Wow, look at how amazing movement culture is. But yeah, I just don't see too many people in the strength world trying to prove the opposite and i'm not saying that we should just blindly aim to prove the opposite for the sake of Mm. uh being contrarian but once again it's just it's an interesting question like hey how much specific work do i need to do towards the handstand push-up uh and what does that mean for me and i think that's the the asking of the question not necessarily the answer that's interesting Mm. and so over these last five months what are some things that you've learned or realized during this process uh, I've, I've worked out that at least personally, I really fucking love dumbbells. I hope I can swear on this podcast, but <laughs> man, dumbbell, dumbbells are sick. Um, I, I wish that like more people just did really basic dumbbell work for a while. Cause, uh, it's something that's, that's changed kind of, uh, a lot of the way my power lifts, uh, go about their day-to-day life. I do also feel like, you know, um, I do feel like there's transferability to something like a handstand push-up. Um, and I do think that it's just an incredibly easy way to add volume and intensity quite regularly um, without it being the most taxing thing in the world, you know? So mm. I think dumbbells are a massive tick for me. Um, another thing that should be, should be said simply, but isn't is just like pauses and slow eccentrics are also, uh, just highly, highly underrated. I mean, mm. in the movement world, maybe not so much. I know that we really like our isometrics and our eccentrics, mm. but even with the basics, like I don't see too many people uh, taking juicy pauses at the top of a chin up or juicy pauses at the bottom of a push up. Uh, and you just wonder, like, hey, if I was doing some weighted push ups with uh, a couple seconds pause, like, what's that going to do for me? At what point is that not going to be a good idea? So, yeah, I'm just, I'm finding like, once again, the really, really basic things um, pop out and they say hello and you're like, okay, maybe I should have known this already, but it's nice having those realizations. I have to laugh with your use of juicy pauses <laughs> because <laughs> it it, re- it really makes sense because I've been working a lot of that, especially with some, you know, like false grip chins and uh, doing it with um, a slow negative, but with multiple pause reps um, as you, as you go down as well. And I don't know what it is, but yeah, it's just like working amazingly. You know, I don't have to do too many throughout the week. I just do like a a three by three sort of reps. And then over this last month, it's just been like phenomenal. And I'm like, well, that's a big, big time saver. And you just wonder how long can this keep on continuing as well? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's super interesting, man. And it sounds stupid, but you're like, oh, wow, 
So like if I pause, I demonstrate control in a given position. Uh, and if I've got slower centrics, like there's more volume, you know, within a, within a given rep. And yeah, as, as you said, like I, I did a, um, I did a bit of programming with John Yuan back in the day. Uh, and one of the things he had in my first phase were three, zero, three, zero false grip chins. And man, the back pump on that was like unreal. Like if you haven't done them before, you've got to give them a crack. I think like the first time that you, you realize about proper time under tension and then, you know, the, the, the tempo, but then actually do that with a metronome as well. It's like the first time it's like your, your mind explodes. You're like, ah, oh, this is how to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fun. You know, like with my clients, if, uh, if I'm having a bad day or, um, or if I feel like someone, someone needs to be, uh, a little bit more broken and they've found the last couple of sessions a bit easier. Three zero three zero normally sorts them out. <laughs> <laughs> so do you do your own programming at the moment? You're sorting yourself out as you go through this um, yeah, strength journey. Um, yeah. So at the moment I'm doing um, a mixture of stuff that I've learned from um, Sebastian Arab, Australian strength coach. I went to uh, a workshop with him November last year. Um, and then I've been, um, you know, consuming some of his content along with a couple of other people. Um, and then I've been adding in kind of little bits of what I've known from Bodyweight and what I've learned from my other coaches. Uh, for me, it's one of those things where I'll take periods where I work by myself and then I'll take periods where I work directly with a coach for a few months. Mm -hmm. um, and it'll kind of be uh, a process where I just reflect, okay, what did I like about this? What didn't I like? What do I feel like I've learned? What is this coach's general approach? Um, how does it interact with what I already know? And then hopefully uh, in a process of like accumulation, I can kind of cross check and reference by having worked with, you know, a few professionals um, and with, you know, the stuff I've done by myself to come up with a process that is kind of mine, is kind of the, the accumulation of the coaches I've worked with uh, and just 100% awesome because, yeah, I don't feel like any of the coaches that I've I've learned from or I've hired have not just been a, a really good experience. And so what are the questions that you ask yourself when you're trying to design like a phase for yourself? Say it comes to month end and you're like, all right, like got to assess, got to determine what I'm going to do next. What does that look like? Um, it, it really depends. I think like the funny thing about the last five months is uh, for me, with powerlifting, um, I've really focused on uh, a difference between kind of specificity uh, and variation, you know, like if I'm looking at literally just being able to boost my powerlifting numbers plus my overhead press, um, really those are the central four measures of progress for me. Uh, and that's the same with every program. You always look at what your goal is, and that's obviously very basic. Um, but then you, you work backwards from there, like what can I currently access um, what's going to be uh, an easy way to get closer to this? Um, how much volume, intensity, frequency do I have to play with? Uh, and I think that that's been a little bit more interesting now with the amount of coaching I'm doing because, well, that never used to be a variable when, you know, you're 20, you're studying. And mm -hmm. uh, especially with me studying an arts degree, it was like, fuck, I've got all the time in the world. We're sweet <laughs> to go. Um, but yeah, at the moment, it's it's just a matter of trying to make sure that with the resources I have, um, I'm not overtraining because I'm not sleeping as much as I used to, or I'm used to. Mm. Um, I don't have tons of time to train, 
Uh, and I'm deliberately trying to limit my blinkers. So at the moment, yeah, all of my programs are very much based on um, how specific can I be? How much variation do I need compared to my last program? And what kind of things am I catching myself doing wrong, technically speaking, in my lifts regularly? You know, um, I, I peaked two months ago. Um, and yeah, peaking is a process for me that was really frustrating. I'd never done it before. But when you see that many technical flaws appear, and especially appear repeatedly over a couple of weeks as you get to the twos and the ones, um, it's great because you're like, well, it's very obvious that in my squats, uh, my hips are shooting up before uh, everything else. Or with my deadlift, I'm, I'm actually not as tense as I should be at the bottom of the mm. lift. Or um, yeah, yeah, you, you can kind of evaluate what you're doing technically. Um, work out what your specific problems are and then just program by program aim to solve them until they don't seem to appear there anymore and something else does in its place. Yeah, I really find this interesting, this like self-problem diagnosis because it can come go in a myriad of ways, right? So, such as that, that, that hip shooting up challenge. So when you sort of see that, then what does that lead into in terms of the actual actions that you take? Well, it's one of those things. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty faithful to the program. If I've made a program, uh, and it's lasting four, six, eight, whatever amount of weeks, um, I, I'll probably stick to it. Um, if I've made that program, it's probably for a reason. Uh, and I don't want to jump the gun and, and jump into another program too soon. So, uh, I'm normally pretty set and steady on that one there. Um, but it is one of those things where, if you're doing a program aiming to address a weakness and the weakness isn't being solved, it's then a question of, Hey, am I implementing this, uh, this program incorrectly or is it just a bad program? And I mean, I think both of those things, especially in a coach's earlier phases can exist. Um, and then maybe that's where, especially if you kind of have a couple programs in a row, uh, trying to address a particular problem and you can't solve it. That's where you go looking for a coach and maybe they're the person that's going to solve mm. it for you, you know? Um, I do think that a lot of people are afraid to uh, hire a coach for those reasons, especially as they become more adept themselves. But yeah, uh, I've, I've never had a bad experience and it's always felt like a shortcut without it being as, as cheap and gimmicky as a shortcut is. <laughs> mm. I wanted to chat a little bit about this specificity versus variation. You know, one thing that jumps out to my mind that I've fallen into a little bit of a time trap before is, you know, maybe I might have like my main strength goals. Like I want to do a handstand push up or something like that. But then there's this concept afterwards that you got to do like prehab or, or rehab or whatever. And then suddenly you're like, well, I got to cover all these bases, you know, like one arm shoulder external rotations or whatever. And then, I'm always scratching my head going like, you know, did they really help or not? I'm not really sure. Like maybe they did or not, but sometimes, especially at the start, you're trying to figure it out and you're doing all these things and it takes like a whole extra 30 minutes or 45 minutes. So yeah. What are your thoughts sort of on that? Um, I think, I, I think like if we're going to address something like prehab, for example, um, if, if a client comes to me and they're like, oh, look, I'm, I'm doing this new prehab thing. Um, I'm normally going to question like, why does they feel the need to do that? If they're like, oh, it makes me feel good. And I've got the time I'm like, sweet, but it's not often that reason. It's normally, Hey, I, I feel injured. 
Uh, and then if, if, if someone feels injured, myself included in my own programming, uh, I'll go through programming and I'll ask myself questions, you know, uh, does this have a, a nice one-to-one push-pull ratio? Um, how's my fatigue management? Am I actually just doing too much volume or is the intensity too high? Uh, am I sleeping too little? Am I eating the wrong kinds of foods? How long has this been going on for? Um, and I think it, it tends to be looking looking at kind of uh, injury management through that kind of lens has been pretty useful for me, both as a coach and as, as someone who coaches myself. If you look at systemic potential uh, issues like sleep and, and lack of recovery and you've ticked all of those boxes um, and you look at programming and you've got the right kind of programming principles at least as I currently understand it um, and they seem to be ticked then it's kind of it's beyond my scope of knowledge and I'll once again go go looking for someone who can teach me more um, but yeah in terms of specificity and variation uh, and having you know a day drag on longer than it needs to um, yeah, I think it just comes down to looking at the goal, asking how much you think actually needs to be done. And then if things seem to be going wrong and injuries seeming seem to be occurring, then yeah, I just take the lens that I just suggested before. Mm. And I'm drawn to this, uh, you just mentioned like these, these principles of programming and, you know, Darius, I, would we be able to go through other, you know, principles of strength programming that you'd be able to share? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I think that there, there are stuff that, um, depending on the coach that I've worked with, there's been variations on a theme. Um, but for example, you know, Sebastian Orb talks about a push-pull ratio of one-to-one. You make sure that you work all angles, whether it be flat bench, incline bench, overhead press, you work them evenly. Um, you make sure that there's even amounts of internal and external rotation of the shoulder. So, if you're using, you know, the, the pecs and the lats a lot, they're internal rotators of the shoulder. You should be doing adequate, amount of, adequate amounts of external rotation. And then if I talk about, let's say, working with Dean Somerset, um, he actually suggests a two-to-one ratio of pushing and pulling where pulling mm. is twice as much as pushing um, because he comes from the stance that uh, society is very pushing dominant to begin with. So it's one of those things where, Uh, For example, uh, I take myself and I'm like, I'm not at a desk. I don't really drive too many hours in a day. Um, Most of most of my work can probably tend towards one to one. But if I'm working on a one to one push pull ratio and I repeatedly notice that, you know, for example, my, my shoulder gets dicky or something like that, then maybe for me, I actually need to experiment with like a 1.5 to one or a two to one ratio. So Uh, when I talk about a principle of programming, that's kind of what I'm referring to, but it's also one of those things where when you talk to a few different professionals, you realize that they've actually got different reasonings for different outcomes and different inputs. Um, And if you can apply those and manipulate those to some degree, you might come up with a recipe that works better for you uh, more consistently. And it may be the same for your clients as well. Yeah, this symmetry aspect is is quite interesting um, because I think sometimes you go into some areas of practice, you know, take it, say the yoga, capoeira, you know, easy targets. If people are mostly training that, it's like all pushing, right? Or a rock climber. And then it's like all pulling. And then I always, uh, I ask like, you know, if someone just kept on doing that, would they get injured or would something, um, you know, happen or, or, or be, be bad? I, I'm not... I, I don't know myself, so but it's always a question I like to ask. 
Oh, for sure. And I think it's, it's definitely a, a great thing to point out, you know, um, <laughs> hand balancing is another really simple one. If all you're doing is elevating and elevating and elevating, then surely you should get overuse injuries. And I mean, um, it's that, that's kind of why I refer back to, to working with particular coaches and their coaching principles, because yeah, what you realize upon working with, you know, half a dozen or a dozen different coaches is that, uh, they all have, uh, different opinions, uh, for differing reasons, uh, based on their differing experiences. And I find it fun cross-referencing, um, taking pinches of salt and then kind of saying, okay, well, you know what, like every coach I've worked with has really said that like volume intensity and frequency need to be respected and honored. That's pretty much a non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. However, you know, like uh, a Bass and a Dean Somerset believe in very strictly ratioed training in some ways for particular people at particular times. Uh, and then there are going to be people like, you know, Harry Williams who will say, well, you want a handstand? Well, guess what? You're going to handstand motherfucker. Um, so it's, it's one of those things. I think, Uh, It's the cross-referencing and the asking of questions that I find interesting. I wouldn't say that I have a particularly dogmatic approach, but I do also believe that, for example, um, when someone says a one-to-one push and pull ratio, it's not like in a handstand, there aren't moments where uh, you aren't pulling in a particular way or pushing in a different particular way. Uh, It's also not like uh, you may not be engaging the lat at all, for example. So, yeah, I just, I find it interesting uh, working in lots of different spaces with different coaches and then laughing at how things may or may not be consistent. I'm more of an observer than an active participant in this way. I think I definitely agree with you there. The more people I talk with, the more different perspectives, the more you realize that everyone just holds their own different worldviews. And it's not that I think that anyone's like completely right or wrong it's just you know that's their experience that's their context and it can be right for a certain type of person and for another person you can have the completely different outcome right yeah and I think that that's exactly it like the way that I try to take coaching these days is that uh, a person's journey with movement the way a person moves uh, all of that is kind of a way that they express their experience and their story Um, and I don't think that it's necessarily ever something we need to be strictly pushing as right or wrong. Uh, but I also think that we should be looking for and listening to professionals that, uh, repeatedly create success. So, you know, if, if Harry Williams can, uh, repeatedly create hand balances of, uh, incredible strength and talent in short periods of time, then maybe I should weight his, uh, his opinion quite heavily. It's the same with um, Sebastian Oreb or Dean Somerset or any of the other coaches, you know, if these people repeatedly create success for their clients, well, one, I guess we've got to ask who are the clients and how like me or the person am I training are they like? Um, but yeah, beyond that, I think it's, yeah, it's just a matter of, of smiling, nodding, and listening to the feedback that your body or your client's body gives you, you know, if you are giving them a one-to-one push-pull ratio and it's not working, doing the same thing probably isn't going to solve the problem, especially Mm. if their technique is good. Just the same as if someone's only hand balancing and they're completely complaining of neck and shoulder issues and and wrist issues all day long, then, you know, maybe depending on what their, um, their purpose for training is, maybe they need to alter that too. And I think it just comes down to listening and adjusting as required. I think this is a good segue to jump into 
teaching and approaches to teaching. So maybe just to kick it off, like how do you describe what you teach? Well, at the moment, uh, I'm, a, I'm a personal trainer. Um, I know that that sounds like a, a deliberately simple approach to things, but that's, that's really what I am. And that's the thick and thin of it. Uh, I'm not some student and master and teacher of movement. I'm nothing overbearing or uh, flowery. I'm just a personal trainer. Um, and I, I look at the way that I live my life. I try to live it mostly honestly, although we all like to hide things from ourselves sometimes. Um, and, you know, I see, I see things that seem to be true in my lives and really the lives of pretty much everyone I train. So when I'm a personal trainer, I realize that most people are doing quite a lot in their day and they probably don't need stress added to them. Mm. It means that if I'm training someone, I'm not going to put on really loud, uh, harsh music. I'm not going to shout and, and do the whole, you know, body pump, let's go, let's go, no, five more. Um, I'm, I'm just not that kind of coach. I don't think that more stress needs to be added. So I believe in, you know, pretty stress-free training. Uh, I just believe that people want to get better and whether they feel like they, they want to lose weight or they want to get ripped and huge. Um, really, my experience with training has been uh, that if I just aim to continually improve in a little marginal way, uh, I'm honest with myself and sometimes I catch myself being dishonest and then I'm honest later. Eventually, I end up finding something that mostly works for me. Uh, and it seems to be mostly true for my clients too. And what drew you to get into training at the start? Um, well, at the start, I was like a skinny fat kid playing AFL football. <laughs> um, I was playing back pocket. I was like 75 kilos. Um, I was quick, but I was getting bumped off my feet. Um, I wasn't particularly confident. And I'd always had this feeling that like I should probably train in a gym to solve that problem. Uh, and at the time I saw a life coach, um, was trying to make a few changes to my life. Uh, and in one of the sessions that I, I did with her, uh, we kind of agreed that I was going to go and join a gym and I started training from there. Um, and I guess, you know, uh, like every 17 year old boy, I wanted abs and arms and someone to love me. That's kind of the phrase that, uh, I use. Um, but I think after making mistakes and getting injured and, training for all the wrong reasons, uh, kind of like what you were alluding to before we got started in the recording. Um, yeah, you realize that you're making a bunch of mistakes. You're actually not looking things uh, from, the, from the right perspective or angle uh, and only kind of mistakes, pain and suffering will teach you to refine that until you've actually got an approach that feels like it mostly works for you. Awesome. Yeah, it's really funny that pain and suffering but it opens or forces you into that curiosity right to just be like you know you're not doing the thing that maybe you should be doing and so you have to change your ways um very frustrating but the best teacher i think yeah definitely i mean um i talk about it with my clients all the time you know um i'm someone who is pretty open to having all sorts of conversations and there'll be clients that talk about eating particular ways they don't feel good about or people that feel like their structure with work or with sleep or with training just isn't quite healthy. Uh, and I kind of, I, I, I don't laugh in a way of like, haha, this, this sucks, you know, sucks to be you kind of thing. But what I say to them is there's a pain threshold. Uh, you either do something about it or there's not enough pain to do something about it. And eventually you will, or you won't. 
And that pain continues to accumulate until eventually it's painful enough to do something about it. Mm. So it's up to you. Um, it either happens now or later, but if you're someone who doesn't want to live a really painful life, you end up doing something about it eventually. I like that concept of the pain threshold. Yeah. That, that really makes sense to me because yeah, you can keep on ignoring something, put, keep on shoving it in a corner, right? You're like, ah, oh, you know, I just deal with it until, until it just raises a couple of notches and then you're like, all right, got to see someone got to, got to kick my ass into action. Oh, totally, man. I mean, like when I was like that 17 year old boy that needed some love, like it was powerlifting all the way, baby, until I couldn't walk a day without like my knees and my back and my hips all being like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? And then, yeah, you, you end up going to a place like Movement Co. Uh, your eyes are opened and you're like, okay, well, I don't have to train that way and maybe I'll learn something. And then, yeah, you end up working there four years later in, in exactly the position you started, uh, albeit a bit roundabout. <laughs> and so this may be a bit of a challenging question, but I'd love just to dig into it. How does one become a good teacher? Ooh, um, give me a second. I think, I think to be a good teacher, like, I can answer it a couple of different questions. One, it depends on your definition. I still haven't seen a definition of the word teacher that holds true in all elements and all aspects. So defining what a teacher is, is always a good place to start. I'm an English teacher, so definitions work really well for me, but there isn't one for teaching. Um, I really think uh, my approach, and it's, it's something that I kind of want to cover um, potentially in a, in a course sometime next year. But the way that I see teaching at the moment is a four-pronged approach. Uh, I look at it having a, an X and Y axis. It doesn't really matter what you want to put them on, but I see content knowledge um, or perceived content knowledge and you know, the cross-referencing kind of way that I described before. Uh, content knowledge being on one side of, let's say, the Y axis, and then relationships and the ability to actually be a good person around people uh, on the mm. on the same axis. Um, then on the on the x axis, you'll find um, getting feedback and being able to reflect on what you do in a fair way. Um, so for me, I don't think that you need to end up in the dead set center of this x and y axis. I think every coach is different. Um, some coaches will really look for feedback, and some will really reflect, and some do both. And all of those are fine positions to be in if you know how to use those tools correctly. Um, and then I think some people really know their content um, insofar as, you know, scientific theory and the ability to apply, apply said scientific theory within best practice. Uh, and then there'll be people who are just really, really good at making people feel like they're cared for and want to be around them. Um, and once again, uh, you see PTs that make a killing and, and change lives that know fucking nothing scientifically speaking. Mm. Um, but you also see coaches that know uh, a lot of things scientifically speaking that probably couldn't relate to a piece of paper, let alone a human. So you're like, okay, uh, it's just a, a way of interacting with yourself as a coach. Do I need to be more middled? Do I need to be one side? Um, actually, how is my reflective capacity? And, um, and do I get any feedback from my clients at all? It's kind of the way that, I think about coaching and teaching these days. Um, so I don't know if it's a perfect answer to your question, but it's about as good as I've got right now. 
I think that's a really interesting way to visualize like where are you on on this chart and perhaps where or giving some awareness to that kind of may provide a a tool so that you can recognize oh this is does this click with the people that I'm trying to serve as well? Because maybe that person with the high sort of content knowledge um, can't relate to people as well. But if he's trying to serve like practitioners in that game who really nerd out and all that sort of stuff, it's, it's probably perfect. But then maybe if it's all relational and they don't know too much about it, but it's more for the the common man who doesn't really care about all that technical stuff, then then that side is perfect, right? Mm, yeah, and I guess it's it's something that um, I've I've still got to clarify my thoughts on. So that's where I'm at with it at the moment. But I guess the only other answer I have is the answer I gave in teaching moves people a couple of years back. I said, you know, the teaching moves people philosophy is as as simple and as literal as the name suggests. Uh, if a teacher is to move a person, you need to know what their point A and their point B are, and you need to know what's going to ma- motivate them specifically. Uh, to transport themselves from point A to point B. Uh, and I still think that for all of the people that got to, to join the class, um, the lesson that I at least got the most feedback on in, in my section as a teacher was just a short one minute video rather than the longer lectures with more theory and, uh, and more dense stuff there uh, was simply me with uh, my grandma's dog. I said, look, there are two ways to move a, uh, a move a person. Uh, let's pretend that, you know, my grandma's dog is this person. I pick the dog up. I walk him across from one couch to another. He still stays on the couch. He does jack shit. He hasn't really done any work, but I guess he's changed because I put a lot of effort into him. Uh, and then in the next second, I pulled a, I pulled a tennis ball out of my pocket mm. and I said, and this is the second way. And I threw the ball down the corridor and off the dog zips, never to be seen again. Uh, and you know, I'm sure that most people listening at home don't need me to explain the moral of the story, but if you know what drives a person and you know what direction that they want to be in, uh, then, you know, give them everything they need, uh, and watch them, watch them flourish. Like it's not incredibly difficult, but you do need to listen. You do need to have some understanding of both the person and the content. Uh, and then you need to be willing to, uh, both step in when they need help and step back when they need to develop by themselves. And for all those listening who might not be aware of what you previously did with with teaching moose people, could you give a quick recap of yeah what what was the aim of that course? What were you trying to get across? Um, well, the idea was it was a collaboration with Harry Williams and uh, Devin Kelly. Shout out to either of you guys if you're listening. It was uh, nice working with you guys. Um, yeah, so essentially, teaching moose people was a I think it was a twelve week course we did a couple of years back together. Uh, where as three coaches and teachers, um, we all explored our relationships to, to coaching and teaching people as best we could. Um, I kind of took in, into account the, the more theoretical stuff that I was learning in my master's degree at the time, um, applied with kind of some of my musings on what I had learned uh, because it wasn't all good. <laughs> um, and, then, and then Harry kind of in a very Harry-esque way uh, just just bombed in, like crashed the wall open and said, hey, this is what I do. Uh, and everyone said, yes, Lord, we believe and trust in you. Um, and then uh, uh, and, and then Devin, uh, Devin took a, a lot of time and effort uh, to construct something very beautiful, uh, albeit painstakingly beautiful, um, just like a lot of the stuff he does online. I mean, you read all of his stuff and 
and look at all of his posts, you know, he really thinks and cares about what he does. Um, but yeah, the three of us kind of just took those approaches, put them side by side. And we said, Hey, we believe that if you're coaching people, you have a responsibility to teach them. And this is what we know about teaching so far. That would have been an amazing experience to have. I think a lot of cumulative knowledge and different styles of approaching the, the similar problem, right? So um, I'm sure those who joined that would have got a lot out of it. Um, and going back to that dog example of what you were saying before about like finding motivation or how to help them get to point A to point B. So, you know, when, when it comes to when you're sitting down with the, with the client, what are the, I don't, yeah, what's your sort of process like to try and elicit that and, then, and to find out what moves them? Yeah, well, I, I think, um, and uh, I'm basically giving giving uh, my, my course away for free here, but I think it's totally cool to have a chat about. I think that if you look at, uh, once again, I, I like to start with science. I think that you can then kind of add on your, your musings from there. But I always like to start with science. I guess the way that I approach it um, is from, uh, from self-determination theory. Uh, if you look at the, the science we have so far, you ask, okay, so like what scientific or psychological framework has created the most positive change? You'd probably say self-determination theory is it. It's behind Alcoholics Anonymous. It's behind Narcotics Anonymous. A lot of community programs run with the same basis. Uh, but if you've got autonomy, competence, uh, and relatedness in a human being, the thought is that they will be self-determining, i.e. feel like they have the ability to control and make their own decisions uh, for the best of themselves and others. Um, and, you know, that's, I guess that's jumping in very quickly into some theoretical stuff. But how does that play out when someone's interview, I'm interviewing someone or appraising someone in the gym? Um, it, it comes down to really just trying to, learn as much about a person as you can. I mean, here we are having a conversation right now. You're asking a couple questions and I'm basically telling you my life story. Um, it's no different for a person in the gym. I think that if we're someone who has the ability to give five minutes to a person uh, and we really aim to do a good job of giving that five minutes to a person, they're probably willing to give you what you need to know in return. Uh, both for you know them creating their own motivation and goals, but also for you to help direct them in the right direction. So I think you know it's just a matter of mostly open-ended listening, um, doing a little bit of of mirroring, uh, knowing a little bit about body language. But once again, I would say that most humans that aim to observe and listen probably internalize most of that anyway. Yeah, I've I wanted to ask you about how you think about cultivating relationships because that you know you mentioned that was one of the pillars on 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 the axis and it seems that this is through the communication tool what you're like that, that you're trying to achieve and that that helps with the coaching so how do you go about it um building relationships for me once again like i know that i sound a bit like a broken record but it really is just aiming to give people time. Uh, it really is just observing, watching and listening and not because you're aiming to, to kind of get something out the other side. I think that especially the younger coaches um, in the industry that they've, they've got a rent to pay at a gym. Um, they're worried about, you know, being able to put food on their own table or pay their rent. Um, and it's, it's so understandable if you're walking a gym floor, um, all of that stress has got to be there somewhere. 
And all of that stress has got to manifest somewhere in your body. But if you're someone who can kind of aim to put that aside and you just say, okay, well, you know, I'm giving personal training a good hard shot. Um, I know that I've got to pay rent, but I know what's even more important than my rent is actually making sure that human beings are happy and healthy in the way that they live their life. Um, then maybe you can put enough of that aside to uh, have the emotional energy spare to go and say uh, to a random person you don't know on the gym floor, hey man, I really like your deadlift. Like, you know what? It's, it's clean. I wouldn't normally say this to too many people, but I really like the technique. It doesn't have to be anything crazy, but it's one of those things where if you put in that effort for, let's say, the first six to 12 months pretty consistently, even on the days where you feel like it's a bit hard, it ends up being that thing where if you've been nice to a person, you've asked how their day was, even if they weren't initially the most open or interested by you, there'll be a point where they need to give something back. And once again, we're not looking for something back. We're not looking for a PT session, but maybe that's something that they give you back is they ask you how your day was. Mm. Uh, it's just one of those things. Um, that's, that's relationship 101 for me. If you give without expecting too much in return and you genuinely care about making people better there's got to be a point where someone almost feels obliged i've seen it so many times in the gym where you know uh, at the community gym i'm paid to be behind a desk for a few hours uh, and in that time if i talk to someone half a dozen times in a genuine way eventually after a few conversations they'll admit that they've got a shoulder issue or that they want to lose some weight uh, and that's a point where you're like well hey i'll happily solve your problem for free <laughs> then they'll take the free solution they'll do it for a while and then they'll be like, no, I almost feel obliged to give you money. Like, let me pay for a session just to thank you. And you're like, okay, well, I must have, I must have done all of that to the nth degree for someone to feel that way. That's really beautifully put, man. Yeah. A, a lot of nice thoughts and uh, I think a really nice way of going about it. So apart from when you're dealing with someone directly one-to-one, -one, um, I guess when you're working at movement code, maybe you might be addressing a whole, a whole class how do you approach teaching a broader audience where this may be a little bit harder to you know sit down with each and every person one-on-one -on -one in a more regular way yeah it's an interesting question it's something i'm still trying to work out you know um, i've been in the industry a little over three years now and of that time i've spent significantly more time working as a pt and small group coach than someone in group fitness but I guess the, the way that I approach it in a class more so um, is, ex, is, is I, I kind of do the same thing, but I'll put a few uh, little asterisks in to, you know, curb my enthusiasm or something along those lines. Uh, one thing I do believe is that uh, I'll create a program for people, um, but that program is for them to interact with. So I'll try to encourage an individualization uh, for them based on that. And I think once again, nothing, Nothing crazy untoward. Every coach will say to a person in a given class if they're struggling with it, or maybe you need to do something slightly different to what's on this program, and that's okay. Um, but I think it's one of those things where if you create a program, you look for feedback. Once again, you reflect on what you kind of had going in the class previously, um, and you give people the time and space to interact with the program, and then you watch. Normally, if you're watching and they've got time and space to inter interact, you'll notice a reaction, you'll see a reaction, you'll listen to a reaction, um, or they'll give you feedback. And once again, it's just a matter of then kind of trying to take the class in a given direction that's very much yours, but also uh, a mixture of yours and their feedback. Because 
well, at the end of the day, if you're not at all compromising in the way you teach a class to somebody, the class isn't for them, it's for you. You should probably be doing your own class. Uh, and then on the flip side, if all you do is bend over backwards to uh, treat your clients in exactly the way they want to be treated, well, one, maybe they're not getting the best knowledge or time out of you. But two, also, there's none of you in that class and uh, it becomes a class you don't want to teach. So I think it's just a matter of uh, trying to balance out so many moving parts in a way that is never going to be perfect, but you just do your best. This reminds me of the time when I was a DJ and when you're DJing, it's also about like reading people and reading the crowd. But unfortunately when you're DJing, you can't actually talk to these people either. So when you're selecting your record, you're kind of, you want to, you might, I might've bought like a couple of new records or something that I'm like, I really dig, but you kind of like, Oh, maybe it's not going to work or one that you kind of like, this is definitely not going to work, but sometimes you choose it anyway because you want to play it, but you can see the immediate reaction where the floor just kind of thins out. But then on the flip side, you don't always want to be playing like the party bangers that get everyone back because it becomes boring to you. So it's a, it's an interesting sort of, tension and balance that that you're always playing with and I, and us and your what you were mentioning just there kind of reminds me of that same feeling yeah totally and i think that that's exactly it it's like it's once again it's another thing that i say to my clients all the time um and that is that solving for fitness isn't an issue but solving for the human condition is always going to be an issue um, an issue that I'll happily be paid to solve for the rest of my life. You know, you don't expect uh, perfect solutions. Uh, and I don't think anyone in anyone's class also expects a solution that's going to be perfectly tailored to them. But I think that if you're, uh, if you're giving little nods to uh, people in your class, you're also vibing on what you're doing at the same time. It's like, yeah, there's a pleasant environment. People are aware of it. And because of people having a good time and being aware of that, um, you probably find that most come back a few probably go missing and it's a bit of a shame that you can't solve for everyone all the time. But it's one of those things where uh, you have the classic teaching or coaching dilemma. Do you try and make the three people in your class that really hate your class like it a little bit more? Hmm. Or do you actually try and uh, work for uh, the majority who might be indifferent and, and shapeable or the people that, you know, really love your shit and could never get enough of it. It's, it's never um, a question that can be answered correctly, but it once again comes down to how you approach teaching uh, philosophically. Mm, yeah. Very interesting that, that problem. And, you know, maybe reflecting back on how you've gone with your teaching, maybe what are some of the, what, what's a, a mistake that you've made that you've really learned from? Hmm. I think, I think one thing I'm still trying to learn from is, is kind of setting your own boundaries. I mean, we talk about just then, um, you know, in a group fitness class, making sure that it's something that you're proud of putting out that you enjoy interacting with, but that also interacts well with clients. I think one thing I'm, I'm working on at the moment is um, trying to put out enough so that I can still have spare to continue putting out because you know, uh, up until kind of we opened up out of COVID, it wasn't exactly like I was uh, incredibly busy, but now it's, it's kind of at a point where rather than saying yes to everything that kind of comes my way and just 
you know, like, like a new mover, I just want to try a little bit of everything and get there. Um, it's at a point now where I'm kind of having to uh, either say yes with a couple of asterisks attached or maybe not. Um, and I think, yeah, yeah, there, there's going to be a moment in many young coaches' lives where they're not a young coach anymore and they're, they're not struggling for their rent and they're actually struggling to get a good night's sleep or to, to train or to spend time with their loved ones. Um, so I think a lesson that I haven't learnt from completely, but I'm still working on is, is just understanding that there's a balance at play. There are priorities in play um, and you're never going to get it perfect, but you also need to be honest with yourself and try and do better if it's not going well. And so going on from now, I guess, what's interesting you in terms of what you want to learn maybe for teaching or for your practice? Um, well, I think in terms of like what I'm interested by at the moment, like I'm, I'm really enjoying deliberately shutting my eyes and just doing strength work. It's fun making life deliberately simpler. Um, I think that that's something that uh, I, I probably want to approach and, and try in a couple of different ways. I think that that's definitely uh, something that could be fun to play with some more. Um, I think also broadening and, and, changing the context in which I teach is always interesting you know uh, working at that community gym I've been there for a couple of years uh, working with the clients it's as I said it's pretty easy to solve for fitness and with these people uh, if you listen to and care for them and you have a, a, you know even a rough basis of, of content knowledge it's pretty easy to do a good job there um, but yeah you know being in movement co especially as the head coach for six months it's now an interesting challenge programming doing group classes with you know more than a few people at a time um teaching classes of different styles and types uh and i think that you know really that is in some ways the essence of a teacher you get to a point where uh you've you've come to grips with something and then you get thrust into a new context or you've got to deliver in a different way uh and then you feel like there's this insurmountable challenge you you can't get past and then you solve for that and then you go again and again and again. And uh, all of a sudden you, you die old and very fulfilled because, wow, look at all the contexts I got to cover and look at all the situations I got to be a part of. Um, yeah, I would say that that's what interests me. And I don't think that that will change for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And with Mo- Movement Co uh, at the moment, given this like a more recent challenge as well, how, how is that all structured uh, and coming out in terms of class format? You know, we mentioned or went through like the challenges of trying to, you know, make everybody happy. So uh, what have you, what, what are you currently doing so far? Yeah, at the, at the moment, it's, it's really interesting when I kind of came into the strength program um, there were a lot of current members already very, very engaged in uh, the body weight and handstand programs there. And it's awesome. Like the, the programs are, are really well made. Jason, Harry, uh, really knowledgeable, fantastic guys that put out some amazing stuff. Um, but it's also an interesting thing because, you know, uh, in, a, in a space like that, we delineate handstands and body weight and strength as, uh, as different classes where, um, I see them all as, as strength and applied strength in slightly different ways as, as we go back to what we were talking about before. So it's, it's really interesting thinking, okay, well, if I try to profile the average person in my class, like how are they engaging with Movement Co? Um, what is my place in the gym? Am I meant to 
give people purely lower body strength because the body weight and handstand programs do that great. Um, and then what about the person who comes to my strength program and doesn't do either of those? What do I do for that person? So it's just, a, it's been a really, really fun, challenging, but fun mix and match of, okay, here's my next program, guys. I'm going to let you interact with it. If you've got feedback, give it to me. I'm also going to reflect. Don't you worry about that. Um, and then just trying to to whittle away what maybe isn't necessary to, um, you know, bunker down on stuff that seems to be going well. Um, and it's fun, you know. I, I'm, I'm into, I think this will be my third program um, running that there. And, yeah, you know, it's only been two, so there's not enough to really uh, reference and, and kind of notice any serious trends, but for every new one that comes out, I'm, I'm definitely looking to learn something and it's, it's just fun. Yeah. I think you have a really great considered approach to how you do things. And I really respect that because, you know, I think you've been able to communicate these pretty hard questions as well. So, you know, we're almost closing off to the end of 2020 for 2021. What have you got planned? Uh, it's a great question. I mean, <laughs> uh, I've got I've got so many things that I, I'd love to say. Yeah, I'm going to fit it all into 2021. Um, but really, I guess my approach is it's about as as flexible as structure can be. Um, notice that. Yeah, what do I have for 2021? I don't know. Um, I'm I'm working on just being able to solve better for more human conditions as time goes on that's that's my approach and in 2021 uh i'm sure that there are going to be new human conditions that i solve in different contexts but i'll respond to them when i feel like there's enough pain in my threshold to do so how's that (laughs) that's about as vague as you'll get as uh, a response out of me i try to be more concise but yeah, fucked. I, I don't even think anyone saw what 2020 was going to offer. So, yeah, why plan when we have no idea to begin with? <laughs> I think that's a beautiful way to to end the podcast, circling back to that, that previous reference. Um, so just to wrap up, if anyone really resonated with what you were saying, maybe had a few questions with some of the notions, concepts that you've raised, what's the best way to get in touch? Uh, well, uh, look, if you want to get in touch, that's a bit above my pay grade. You'll have to uh, talk to my boss. Now, nah, um, you can get me in, uh, in, in, you're welcome to message me on Facebook. Uh, Joel Mullen, exactly as uh, you introduced me, you'll be able to find that Instagram at move or be moved. Um, and you're also welcome to, to send me an email if you'd like, uh, Joel at move or be moved online. Uh, any and all of those ways are totally fine. Awesome. Well, I'll include all those details in the show notes. It's been a pleasure having you on connecting and yeah, appreciate it. And whatever you manifest for 2021, I look forward to seeing what's going to happen. Cheers, Fayon. It's been great being on here. Thanks, dude. Episode 41, guys, that's a wrap. Thanks to Joel for jumping on the podcast. That was a lot of nuggets of gold, nuggets of information that I really enjoyed listening back to. So a couple that I've just written down here was the one around strength uh, with 
strength has to be specific to task. And the other one, which is about dealing with people and their human condition. So solving for fitness isn't the issue, but solving for the human condition is always the issue. And that really reminds me of a few other quotes. I remember the one with Joseph Fruchek, where he also talked about the tragedy of mankind, where it was about us having the awareness about what is wrong with ourselves, even knowing how to fix ourselves, but not having any energy to do so. So that kind of alludes to the same sort of thing that Joel was talking about here in our chat. So I hope that sort of brings a few things for you guys to think on at the end of this podcast. I hope you guys enjoy once again. And if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to contact me either via the Active Hang. So that's the forum, which is accessible via the website on the passivehang.com. You can jump on there. There's a section there for the podcast and there'll be a thread ongoing for this specific podcast episode. Otherwise, you can direct message me either on the Active Hang or on Instagram, that's at Fayon P, that's at P-H-A-O-N-P, and I'll be glad, happy to chat. So thanks to you guys once again for sticking around, listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'll see you in the next episode.